Have you ever made a purchase and made that purchase based on promises, promises that were made via a TV advertisement, and then later you regretted that purchase, that decision to make that purchase? There have been some grand promises that have been made over the years. We should have known that a shovel can't really clear six, six inches of snow off the driveway all by itself. Rice Krispies was advertised to boost your immune system. And then just a snap, crackle, and pop later, in court, they had to put an end to that claim. The promise that pottery grows. Chia pet? Come on, seriously. Cha-cha-cha-chia. You knew I couldn't go on without that. And that claim that a pair of socks guarantees to remove all the foot odor probably was not as a sure a thing as your spouse had hoped it would be. Advertising companies thrive on making promises, but they don't always come through. They don't always deliver on the promises that they make. We all make promises. And at points, we all fail to deliver on the promises that we have made. But God never does. God always delivers on the promises that he makes to his children. Would you please locate the book of Joshua with me in your copy of the scriptures? It's the sixth book of the Bible, and it's a historical book. That means that it records for us, it's one of the books that records to us the history of God's chosen people, the Israelites. In fact, we're kind of encapsulating the theme of Joshua in this one phrase. It's, it's a history of our promise-keeping God. Today, we will give specific attention to the 11th and 12th chapters of the book of Joshua. Now, we won't be able to cover every single verse. In fact, I'm really not sure if I'm even up to the task of pronouncing all the names that are recorded in the 12th chapter of Joshua. But we will see from both chapters how God delivers on his word, how God comes through for his people. We've seen this all along throughout this book, but specifically we will see it kind of in summary in chapters 11 and 12. In one sense, the book of Joshua is kind of like a smaller version of the whole Bible. The, the Bible has the Old Testament and the New Testament, or as some would summarize, promises made and promises kept. And we've, we've kind of outlined the book of Joshua this way. We said the first five chapters give us the, uh, the information about entering into the promised land. And then chapters 6 through 12 record, record for us how the Israelites were fighting for the promised land. And then chapters 13 through 21 is distributing of the promised land. And then in the last three chapters, 22, 23, and 24, are admonishments about the promised land. So chapter 12 is a breaking point for us. It moves us from the first half of the book into the second half and from the second section into the third section. So it's wrapping up this section about fighting for the promised land. Joshua records both promises that God has made and promises that God has kept. Now we're going to revisit this truth that God comes through for us, that God keeps his promises. Uh, again, towards the end of the book, as another summary section comes at, at, the, at the conclusion of the book. But here in chapters 11 and 12, they're all about God delivering on his promises. Friends, God did not give assurance. God did not give 
hope to his children in word only. He delivered on his promises. And he does no less for you and for me in 2019. The passage is not only encouraging because we see God at work, it's also instructional on how, uh, how God calls us to respond to his action, his working in our lives. We'll briefly outline five ways in which these two chapters show God delivering on his promises. But we're only going to be able to briefly touch on them. It's going to be up to you to, to kind of set aside a time later this afternoon or this evening or later this week to meditate on these five ways that God is working, five actions of God, how he's doing that in chapters 11 and 12, and how he's still doing it in your life in 2019. First, we see that God delivers on his promises by taking on the daunting enemy. He delivers on his promises by taking on the daunting enemy. Look at chapter 11 and follow along as I read the first five verses. This is God's word. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard those things, that he sent Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Ashbash, and to the kings that were on the north side of the mountains, and to the plains of Chinneroth, and in the valley and the borders of Dor on the west, and to the, and to the Canaanites on the east, and on the west, and to the Amorites, and to the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the mountains, and to the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they went out, they and all their hosts with them, much people, even as the sand of the, that is upon the seashore, in multitude, with horses and chariots, very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together in the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Well, we have a clear case of here we go again to open the 11th chapter of Joshua. Just like the beginning of chapter 9, when kings united to form a coalition against Israel, a coalition that the Gibeonites chose not to join, and just like the beginning of chapter 10, when the king of Jerusalem roused other leaders to form a coalition against the Gibeonites, who are now part of the Israelites, we find in chapter 11 another attempt at a coalition against Israel. This time, it's from the kings of the north. The first three verses clue us in to, to who all is involved, but it's really verse 4 that, that paints the, the picture of despair, what could be a picture of despair for the Israelites. They went out, verse 4, they and all their horses with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore, in multitude, with horses and chariots, very many. The narrator of Joshua describes an enemy that was larger and stronger than any that Israel had faced as up to this point. Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, estimated that this particular northern coalition in, in Joshua 11 had combined forces of about 300,000 foot soldiers and 20,000 chariots. Horses, chariots. This was a new dynamic for Israel to face. This had to be even more daunting than facing the walls of Jericho as they marched around day after day. The sheer number of forces was staggering. 
Israel was not equipped to handle this enemy. They needed help from outside of themselves. God had promised Israel earlier, as we have studied, that she would defeat her enemies, and now it was happening. Even her greatest foe. Part of God delivering on His promises to you is God's ability to take down any foe, any enemy that you would face. No matter the enemy's strength, no matter the enemy's lure or strategy, God is able to conquer. There's nothing, there's nothing that is too hard for God. God delivers on His promises to you even when the the most daunting enemy is attacking. In case you didn't realize it, you are in over your head. I am in over my head. Sin is too great for you to overcome alone. Do you feel the weight of sin in your life? Do you feel the weight of temptation? Does the momentary pleasure of sin weigh heavily on your mind? Consider the strength of your foe. Take sinful anger, for example. It's addictive. It feeds on selfishness and a a sense of entitlement. Sinful anger grows the fruit of impatience and greed and hatred. It's a daunting enemy. God delivers on His promises to you by taking on your foe of sinful anger. Or consider a, a lustful thought life. It's incredibly powerful. If you allow your mind to drift into sexual lust, you are in very dangerous territory. It's an enslaving master. It's a daunting foe. Brothers and sisters, we cannot face our foe in our own power. We will fail. Our self-discipline will fall short. Our love for God will wane. We need help from outside of ourselves. Maybe for you it's not sinful anger or lustful thinking. There are many other options for besetting sins that you could fill in the blank with. But know this, God delivers on His promises to you by taking on your most daunting enemy. Nothing is too hard for God. With God, all things are possible. So God comes through for us on His promises, even when the, when the enemy seems unbeatable. Secondly, we see that God delivers on His promises by repeating the divine promises. Continue now in the passage with me as we, be, as we, we pick it up in verse number 6. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them. Wow. Be not afraid for them. For tomorrow, about this time, will I deliver them up, all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hawk their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Merim suddenly. And they fell upon them. And the Lord delivered them unto the hand of Israel, who smote them and chased them unto, unto great Zidon and unto Mishraphoth. Unto where? Unto Mishraphothmam and unto the valley of Mizpah eastward, and they smote them until, the, until they left them none remaining. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. He hawked their horses and burnt their chariots with fire. Can you believe this? The most 
daunting foe yet. And God says to Joshua, do not be afraid. Don't fear. Why? Because I will deliver them up to you. Wasn't this the same promise that we read of in chapter 1 and then again later in chapter 8? God was giving comfort. God was coming through on his promise to Joshua simply by repeating his promises to his children over and over again. God was going to hand the enemy over to Joshua. That's a solid promise. That's an A-plus promise. That's a promise you want to hear from God. So God told Joshua to go and to, to, to hawk the horses. Now, I had no idea what that meant when I read that. I didn't even know how to pronounce the word H-O-U-G-H, so I had to go look it up. It means to hamstring the horse, to do physical harm, to inca incapacitate the horse so it would not be able to be used in battle. God says, you go do this, and I will do this. You don't have to fear. I am with you. I will deliver the enemy over to you. One of the greatest ways that you can help your own soul, brother or sister, is to feast on the promises of God, to repeat them to yourself. This is what God was doing for Joshua and the children of Israel. This is not the first time that he has said, do not fear. He has said this multiple times, over and over. We do that, don't we? We repeat, we meditate, we consider what God has promised to us. We do that when we come to the Lord's table. We, see, we, we read that we are to do this in remembrance of Jesus. We read in Corinthians, For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus has already died and that he's coming again. Our salvation is there. Jesus' death and his resurrection continue to work for us. They are salvation for our current day and salvation for our future. We're reminding ourselves of what has been gained for us through Christ. Another way that you can help yourself repeat these divine promises to yourself is through Scripture memory. Now let me tell you through personal experience, maybe the greatest benefits of memorizing Scripture comes during the process and not necessarily after. The process of, of memorizing is an opportunity to repeat God's promises to yourself. So when I go back and I review through recitation James or the book of Ephesians, I'm reminding myself that every single blessing in the heavenly places is mine in Christ Jesus. I'm reminding myself that I'm no longer a stranger or an alien, but a fellow citizen, a member of the household of God, built on the foundations of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I'm reminding myself that if I lack wisdom, and this is a great promise that I come to every day, that if I lack wisdom, God will give it to me generously. He will give it to me liberally. He will give me the wisdom that I need. I'm reminding myself that the prayers of a righteous person have great power while they're at work. You're repeating the promises of God to yourself. So how do you do that, brother or sister? Do you have some kind of plan to lean on God's promises regularly through worship music or through scripture memory or through your own Bible reading, the Lord's table? How are you prioritizing the repetition of God's promises to you? God delivers on his promises by repeating his divine promises. Thirdly, God delivers on his promises by blessing the necessary obedience. Look at verse number 10. And Joshua 
at that time turned back and took Hazor, and he smote the king thereof with the sword. For Hazor, before time, was the head of all those kingdoms. And they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There is not any left to breathe. And he burnt Hazor with fire. And all the cities of those kings, and all the kings of them, did Joshua take and smote smote them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. But as for the cities that stood still in their strength, Israel burned none of them, save Hazor only. That did Joshua burn. And all the spoil of these cities and the cattle and the children of Israel took for prey unto themselves. But every man they smote with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. Neither left they any to breathe. And the Lord commanded, as the Lord commanded his commanded Moses' his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. Joshua left nothing undone of all the Lord commanded Moses. One of the fruits of God's word is the obedience of his children. So what happens with all those repeated promises? What happens when we meditate on the good news of, of God's kindness and promises to us, one of the fruits is obedience to God. Careful. Obedience doesn't gain favor with God. Obedience is blessed by God. Obedience is expected by God. Joshua struck down. Joshua captured. Joshua burned. Don't lose sight of the personal responsibility that Joshua had to obey the word of God. The promises that God had made that God had repeated and that God had fulfilled were motivation for Joshua's continued obedience to God. He didn't leave anything undone. He did all that God had commanded him to do. What a commendation. What a wonderful thing to be said about a man, that he obeyed God fully. God's promises provide courageous faith to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His promises make you bold in the journey of your own Christianity. You need to be emboldened because there's lots of scary things that are happening in this life. God repeats His promises in, in order to embolden you to a courageous faith, to an obedience to Him. God delivered Joshua, and part of that deliverance was via the obedience of Joshua. Friend, you can't just say, you can't just say, well, God made me promises. He's keeping His promises. I can just live however I want to live. God calls you to obedience. God calls you to follow his instruction. God doesn't separate you know, your victory from your obedience. He blesses the obedience that is necessary, a necessary part of the equation as he's delivering you. Brothers and sisters, do you obey God? Sure, God has promised to provide a way of escape, a path of endurance for any temptation that we might face. But you can't claim the promise of God that he's going to provide a way of escape from, from your lustful thinking while you're walking into a strip club. You're called to take steps of obedience. Your personal responsibility is necessary, is expected by God. We each have the responsibility towards obedience, and God blesses that obedience. Your obedience to God is, is part of the equation for God delivering on His promises to you. 
So God delivers on his promises by taking on the daunting enemy. He delivers on his promises to us by repeating his promises. He does this by blessing our obedience. Fourthly, God delivers on his promises by orchestrating his sovereign perseverance. I'm going to read the next few verses. And, and while I read these next few verses, note with me all of the kind of exclusive words that point to a, a full deliverance. Words like every and all and none, nothing. Verse number 16. So Joshua took all that land, the hill, took all that land, the hills, and all the south country, and all the land of Goshen, and the valley, and the plain, and the mountain of Israel, and the valley of the same, even from the mount of Halak, that goeth up to Seir, even unto Baalgad, and the valley of Lebanon, under the mount Hermon, and all their kings he took, and smote them, and slew them. Joshua made war a long time, with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all other they took in battle. For it was the Lord, it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. And at that time came Joshua and cut off Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debur, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. And there was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel. Only Gaza and Gath and Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said to Moses and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by the tribes and the land rested from war 40 years earlier Israel had feared these very same enemies but now we read that the enemies were being defeated one after another after another even after four decades of wandering in the wilderness, God's people persevere by God's grace. All that land, verse 16 says, God orchestrated this nation's perseverance to possess all that land. Perseverance came over time. We often forget how highly condensed the Bible is. We can read Joshua chapters 10, 11, and 12 in just a few minutes. But the happenings of the count were stretched over a long period. Uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 18 that Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. If we take information from Caleb's age that's given to us in chapter 14, we can conclude from the time that Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, so the beginning of, of the book, all the, from that point all the way up to chapters 11 and 12 where we're at today, a total of seven years had passed. Joshua had indeed made war a long time. It was a long, grueling, demanding mission. Seven years. That's a long time. Seven years ago, I had a, 
a three-year-old and an eight-year-old for my children. Seven years ago, we were still in President Obama's first term. Seven years ago, we only had the iPhone 4. I mean, basically, it was like Little House on the Prairie. Seven years ago, we only had one Chick-fil-A in Lancaster County. I mean, first world problems. But think of God's work at Harvest Bible Church in seven years. Seven years ago, we weren't meeting in this building for worship. In fact, the HBC reminded me this morning that five years ago today, we signed on the dotted line to uh, take possession, to have this property uh, for God's use through Harvest Bible Church. Seven years ago, Shirley hadn't faced cancer yet. Seven years ago, we hadn't even met Bill and Betty Gast or Todd and Joyce Reynolds and a host of other HBCers. Seven years ago, the Hutchins were still in Brazil before moving to China, before moving to New Hampshire for ministry. Seven years ago, Anna Gross was preparing for 10th grade, and now she's a college graduate preparing for the mission field. God does a lot over a period of time. This is the pattern of God. If you think back through the scriptures, we see God doing a work through Noah over decades, Abraham over decades. Think of what Peter's condition was like when Jesus called him and all that, uh, that he grew and how he grew and how God used him. Think of what Paul was like and how the gospel transformed him and the growth that happened in the apostle's life. Philippians 1.6 is, is not a promise that, that, that God will, will complete a good work in us. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not a promise that we're going to be made whole right away. It's a promise that it's going to happen, that God's going to lead us along. He's going to continue to sanctify us, to set us apart, to help us in this perseverance. God's work in our lives over a long period of time calls for endurance, for perseverance. One commentator put it this way, even though God is at work, many days still consist of washing your face, brushing your teeth, and taking out the garbage and attending class. That is why you have the need of endurance. Christian, the battles that we face require endurance. There's stress involved. There's energy to be expended. Struggle is part of the Christian life. It's going to be there. We haven't been called to a a life of ease. We know that the Christian life will call for struggle. Teenagers, you probably get angry with yourself when you screw up. You know better than to be disrespectful to your parents. You know what the Bible says. And so you get angry with yourself for your own failures. Be reminded of this truth this morning, that God is at work in your life over a long period of time. Be reminded that God's mercies are new every single day. He's bringing you along, friend. Parents, be reminded that slow growth is growth. Don't expect your children to catch the lesson the first time and then never fail again. This isn't some kind of excuse to let sin go or to, to, to just not acknowledge sin or address sin issues, but this is the reality of life. Look for God's grace in your children over the long haul. It's so encouraging to look back over a year and think, oh yeah, they would have never made that good decision, that choice, a year ago or two years ago. God is at work. And parents, encourage one another with, with how God is working in, in your friend's kid's life. And remind them that God is, work, is at work over a long haul. Husbands and wives, your spouse hasn't arrived yet. God is still bringing them along. 
your husband is not Jesus. He's going to struggle in this life. And as much as you admire her, your wife isn't perfect. She's going to fail you. But take hope, Christian. God is at work. And just as we saw that obedience is necessary, we see that God is sovereignly orchestrating the perseverance of his children. And he's bringing us along for his glory. But it works both ways. We would be remiss if we did not uh, see and, and talk for a moment about what verses 19 and 20 show us. That God hardened hearts of the enemy so that they would be destroyed. So that they would that, that they were so hardened that they would not ask for grace. They would not seek God's mercy. They would be displaced. They would be exterminated. Their day of grace had now passed and God had given them an opportunity to submit, but now that period was over and that God hardened their hearts. Don't miss or shy away from that truth here in verse number 20. It was the Lord who hardened their hearts. Acts chapter 2 reminds us of the hardened hearts of men that put Jesus on the cross. It was all under the control of God's sovereign hand. Is that hard to accept for you? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Friend, do not make the mistake of thinking that you can escape this God. If you have not accepted God's gift of salvation, do not reject Him today as you hear it in His grace as He has put you under the preaching, the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not continue to reject Him today. A hardened heart will result in the same fate as those kings who were defeated by Joshua. Condemnation. Eternal damnation. But for us as, as followers, God is, is working in us over a period of time. So we persevere by God's grace. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, we read of Christian's approach to the palace beautiful where he hoped to get lodging. And he began to walk down a very narrow passage leading to the, the porter's lodge. Then he saw two lions in the way, and Bunyan adds parenthetically, the lions were chained, but he saw not the chains. That is frequently the case for us. We fear because we don't see the chains. We remember that Jesus is at the Father's, we must remember that Jesus is at the Father's right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and he has all things under his feet. Every power that would desire to destroy us is chained. And God is going to allow us to persevere by His grace. God delivers on His promises by taking on the daunting enemy, by repeating these divine promises, by blessing the necessary obedience, by orchestrating sovereign perseverance. And fifthly, God delivers on His promises by providing final rest. We read it in verse 23. Joshua took the whole land, all of it, according to all that the Lord said to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land rested from war. Verse number 1 of chapter 12. Now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel smote and possessed their land on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon to the Mount Hermon and all the plain on the east. And now the narrator describes to us all of the kings that, and all the nations that fell to, to, the, to the leader Moses. And then in chapter 12, verse number 7, 
And through the end of the chapter, he lists for us all these kings that Joshua and the children of Israel were able to defeat. And you notice, like beginning in verse number 9 and 10, the king of Jerusalem won. The king of Hebron won. All the way through verse number 24, the king of Tizra won. All the kings, 30 and 1. 31 nations. God brought all his people all the way through all this war. God allowed his people to persevere until there was rest in the land. And he will do the same for us. The New Testament teaches us that we have to strive or to struggle to enter into rest. But that one day Christ will return for us and that we will be given full rest. These verses here in Joshua chapter 12, one commentator said it this way, these verses do not drip with tedium, they tingle with excitement. Each conquered king is named. It's an itemization of God's faithfulness. It's rehearsing the goodness of God. Someone said, if we were to train ourselves to recognize God's goodness act by act and detail by detail, many of us would come to think more highly both of God and of the church. Much of our despondency comes from failing to see how much God has really achieved. So when you pray, do you itemize God's goodness to you? Or do you say, God, thank you for all the blessings? Do you rehearse the faithfulness of God? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Rehearse victory after victory, promise kept after promise kept. God has not left you simply uh, to, to hope for everything to turn out okay. God has provided final rest for you. Do you see what Joshua 11 and 12 will we have here? It's a full-on display of God keeping his promises. God delivering on his promises. It's a summary of, of God delivering on the promises that he made to his children many years before, and he had repeated to them many years since. God brings his people into the promised land, just as he said he would. God allows his children to inherit the land. God provides for his children to conquer the enemy. God gives his children rest. He delivers on his promises. Even in the face of the greatest enemy to date, God delivers. By repeating his promises, God delivers. In coordination with his children's obedience, God delivers. Over a long period of time, God delivers. With a track record of scores and scores of victory, God delivers. And these two chapters are a microcosm of what God is doing for his children in 2019. He did it, my friends. God has delivered. God has come through for us. And it's most evident in the life, death, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. The second Joshua, Jesus Christ, the only son of the living God, faced the greatest enemy when he was on the, the cross of Calvary. He bore the weight of your sin. He bore the weight of my sin. He was tempted in all the ways that we are tempted, yet he never once sinned. The second Joshua leaned, depended upon the repeated promises of his father. The second Joshua, Jesus Christ, was also given a mission, and he became obedient to that mission. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The second Joshua revealed God's sovereign hand that was at work, Christ suffered at the hands of men who nailed him to that cross, but it was all within the good plan of his Father. The second Joshua, Jesus Christ, 
the author, the finisher, the completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He persevered to the end. Jesus persevered so that we might persevere. My friend, God comes through for us. God delivers on his promises through his son, Jesus. And now, through Christ, we can look forward to the complete, to the final, to the whole rest that he has promised us. Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, let us leave God's house today with thankful hearts that the God who has promised us rest has provided all that is needed for that rest for our souls. And until we enter into that final rest, let us lean on God for endurance to faithfully obey Him as His sovereign hand works out all things to the praise of His glory. Let's bow our heads and